Good morning, church. The Lord has a sense of humor, doesn't he? We are knee-deep in a sermon series in Jeremiah. We'll be in Jeremiah chapter 18 this morning, which happens to be the central text of the series that Pastor DJ has been walking us through. And the Lord allows him to take a Sabbath (laughs) and allows me to preach this text. So pray for me. Pray for Pastor DJ. I'm so glad to be here this morning with you guys up here. Um, This text is so, so rich. Jeremiah chapter 18. My name is Adam Siski. Like Ken told you, I am the high school pastor here at Church at the Mill, but I am graciously going to be transitioning to become the campus pastor down in the great city of Woodruff, South Carolina. We have any Woodruffians in here this morning? Yeah, maybe you have some Woodruffians online. Thank you. I'm excited about that. Excited about being able to preach this text this morning. And so I want to begin with the central question, right, that this text asks. And we're going to end with that question. And here is that question. Can God turn your mess into his masterpiece? That's what the text asks us this morning. Can God turn your mess and my mess into his masterpiece? You know what we would call that today in our culture? We would call this a hot mess. A hot mess. You know what I think about when I think of a hot mess? I think of a 14-year-old girl going through her first breakup. That's a hot mess. You ask her, is everything okay? She's got mascara running down her face. I'm okay. She's not okay, right? I think of a dad who has two kids trying to prove to his wife that he can stay at home and manage the home while she's away for a few days. And the wife comes back in and the dad is burning supper. The smoke alarm's going off. The kids are crying. The house is a mess. And the wife says, is everything okay? And he goes, I'm okay. (laughs) He's not okay. And the greatest thing I think of when I think of a hot mess is I think of our preschool director here, Haley Deal. Haley Deal is a hot mess. Every time we have a high attendance Sunday and all of her volunteers decide to go to the beach for the weekend. If you look at her, she'll be smiling. You'll say, Haley Deal, how are you doing? And she'll go, I'm okay. Is it going to be okay this morning? It's going to be okay. She's barely hanging on. If she smiles at you and says, I'm okay, she's barely hanging on. You love her. But that is a hot mess. And as a matter of fact, that is where we see the nation of Israel in this text. We see them. They are in a hot mess. And they're holding on. They're, they're grasping for straws. If you have been journeying with us through Jeremiah, you know that because they have begun to walk away from their first love, which is the Lord, the world around them has begun to collapse They began to make alliances with other nations as Babylon is breathing down their neck. They're they're trying their best to grasp at every bit of security that they can find to hold on. They've seen the northern tribe of Israel um, taken away by Assyria. So all of their security is going away. And they will do anything at this point for the salvation to come. And so they're reaching out to any God, any fake God, real God. They'll take it all. They are indeed a hot mess. And yet even in that hot mess, this is what I love about the Lord. It is in those times of being in a hot mess where God actually reveals himself to you and me, isn't it? 
It's in those times of catastrophe in our life where we're barely hanging on, where we may look nice on the outside, but on the inside, the world's unraveling around us. It is in those times that God reveals himself to us. And what we see in Jeremiah 18 is exactly that. God is revealing himself within the mess that is Israel. And so are you ready to journey with me this morning? Then let's begin. The very first six verses reveals in the mess It reveals the potter's power. Read with me as I read God's word. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his will. I have a picture of what a potter and his will looks like. And be honest with you, this is totally foreign concept to me. I am, not, I, I am not skilled in paying attention to detail, and I'm not very artistic. But the way a, a potter can take a lump of clay, and he can, with the attention of detail and intimacy and the right pressure with his hands, he can craft whatever his heart and mind decides to craft. This is an, an amazing trait. It's an amazing skill. And so God tells Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house, and there is where where he was working at his will. So verse 4 we see, and this is the linchpin verse of this entire text. Verse 4, and the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. So we have a problem here. The, 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 the vessel that he is crafting is now not turning out to be exactly what he wanted it to be. The clay is actually spoiled, but it, the story doesn't end there, does it? He says, and he reworked it. He reworked it into a vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. So the, the, the potter was able to take something that was heading in a wrong direction and to, with patience and skill and attention to detail, recraft that vessel or that clay back into something that is actually useful which is an amazing concept. I love how God decides to use this imagery to speak to the nation of Israel and even to us this morning. But look what he says to Jeremiah. Verse 5, the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel. Now there's some intimacy in that, right? House of Israel. Now this is the house that God made. Israel was, was God's own craftsmanship. He, he, he took the clay of Israel and he, he crafted it over the years. He took a people that were not a people and he called it his own. And he turned it into a nation that nobody else had ever seen before. And, and to worship him and him alone. He says, oh, house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? He's, he's teaching them about his ability. Do I not have the power to craft you how I want you? And even in the midst, if you decide to go astray, if you decide to rebel, if you don't hold up your end of our relationship, can I not still rework you into what I want from you? And of course we know what the answer is. The answer is yes. Look what he says, verse 6 still declares the Lord, behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. You see, they had forgotten this. 
They had begotten out of their own pride. They had stepped away from the submission to the Lord, and they began to try to solve their own problems. And their first problem was walking away from him to begin with. But in their own pride, they're saying, no, God, I, we got this. We, we can handle our mess. We, we can take care of ourselves. And God, even in that midst, says, do, do you not know that even when you think you have it all in control, you don't have anything in control. I still have you in my hand. Church, listen to me. This is the reality of you and I sitting here this morning You and I are at the potter's wheel, and we are the clay, and God has us in his very hands. It doesn't matter if you acknowledge him this morning as your sovereign ruler and creator. It doesn't matter. You are still there. He still has his hands on you, both corporately as a church, as a nation, and even as an individual. And not just that, it speaks to his sovereignty over every detail of your life. You think with me on this. We, we don't have enough time this morning to really dive deep into this idea, this concept that God has complete control of every event in your life and my life. He takes every natural, natural disaster. He takes every bit of weather. He takes every bit of decisions that the world makes that you're affected by. He takes every event that you have no control over. He takes every event that you actually choose. He takes every mess that you actually create in your own life. And he has the ability to take all of those things and to craft that into your life to produce what he wants out of you. You and I have no control over our very life. Israel here has no control over their future. And God looks at them and says, I have you in my hands. You may think you have run from me. You have not. I still have you in my hands. And it's almost an intimate plea, isn't it? He's looking at them and saying, Israel, you're a hot mess. Israel, you're a hot mess. You, you don't know what the future is going to hold for you, Israel. You're, you're trying to fix your own problems. Babylon is about to come in and to wipe you out. You, you are grasping at straws. You are a hot mess. And yet even in those moments, even in the moments where you are rebelling from me, I'm still here. I have not run from you. You're still in my hands. This is a gracious Plea, which is actually what we see in the next few verses. One through six, we see the potter's power, but in seven through 18, we see the potter's plea. We see the potter's plea. Read with me. He says this If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do it. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah, Jeremiah, Say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you. 
I have a plan. I'm shaping a disaster against you, and I'm devising a plan against you, period. But then he says, but return. Here's the plea. Return. Everyone from his evil way, amend your ways and your deeds. You know what God is telling the nation of Israel here? He's saying, I, the potter, am telling you that if you will repent, I will relent. Crazy concept here to think about. It's a big, a big idea that God in his sovereignty that controls the entire future of you individually and us corporately can still have room in his character to deal with you and I intimately based off of our actions and repentance toward him. It is still in his character that he has the power that if you, in your mess, would return and repent of your mess of holding on to your life, if you would turn it back over to him, he, in that moment, has the power to begin to rework you immediately into something meant for your good and his glory. And that's what he's telling the nation of Israel. Even at this moment, Israel, we've been warring together for hundreds of years now. You've been walking away from me. You've been rebelling from me for hundreds of years now. I've been sending messenger after messenger. I've called you and repeatedly warned you over and over again that if you don't turn, here's destruction. And even at this moment, the plea offer is still here. If you will give up. And you will turn back to me. All of this calamity that you are focused on right now, I will shape those things for your good and my glory. The sad reality is, is they can't help but hurt their situation even more. We see in verse 12 their response, which is a sad reality. He says, but they say, That's in vain. To repent? That's in vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. So once again, the summary is, God, I don't care if you're offering repentance to us. We're not going to take it. We're going to continue on our path of destruction. Why? Because we got this. We've got our world in our hands. We've got this covered. I know it's falling apart, but we're going to hold on for dear life. And God's response to this, look at verse 13. Therefore, thus says the Lord, we'll ask among the nations, who has heard the like of this? The virgin Israel has done a very horrible Thing And I love that, the concept of the virgin Israel. I mean, if you think about it for a minute, he didn't call a nation that was steeped in false religion and call them to worship Yahweh and to redirect them. No, he created a people that was not a nation. They were a virgin. They were pure. And he took them and he crafted them intimately with his own hands and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he's going how astonishing is, what, is what's happening right now. The virgin Israel's done a very, a very horrible thing. And then he asks these two questions. He says, does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? But my people, they've forgotten me. It's crazy to think about. He says here, he says, look at... Look at the mountains. When the snow falls, does the, does the snow stay in the mountains? Of course it does. It's a natural thing. You expect it to happen. 
Or when you look, do you, you expect the water to flow from the mountaintop down the streams and you expect it to be there. It doesn't run dry. He said that's something that the world expects. The world sees it and they know that to be true. And he says, but how crazy would it be if the water would run dry? How crazy would it be for the snow to not stay on the mountains when it falls? He said, that's how crazy you are right now, Israel. For you to reject my offer to rework you, this is how crazy you are. You have not only rejected me, but now you have forgotten me. You've forgotten my ways. He says, they've made, verse 15, he says, they make offerings to false gods they, they made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into side roads, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. He's saying, listen, I, you didn't come from false worship. You didn't come from false gods. You, you came from me, and yet you have deserted the ancient paths that I've created for you. I, 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 Moses, I took Moses, and, and I crafted the law for you. And, and, and all the wisdom of David and Solomon, I crafted their wisdom for you. You, you have the path to righteousness before you. You have the way to honor me and to live a life that is for your good and for my glory. Yet, not only have you turned your back on me, but you, nation of Israel, have caused the people to stumble and to go on roads that aren't even roads to the point that when people pass by, they don't look at you and say, praise God, who is this God that they worship? They look at you in total disgust and awe and, and, and hissing going, what is going on in this land? It is desolate all I can think about is what God's promise was to the nation of Israel. He says, if you will be faithful to, to this covenant, I will make you the head and not the tail. I will bless you and all the nations will know that I have blessed you. And the nations will be glad because I have blessed you. Yet the very opposite is coming to happen because of their lack of repentance. It's the very opposite of that. They are now not going to be a nation at all. Look at what he says in verse 17. Like the east wind, Israel, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their calamity. What a terrible ending. He's going, guys, if you don't repent, if you don't turn back to me, the, the disaster that I'm shaping for you in this moment will be totally unbearable for you. I will cause an east wind, which he's referring to Babylon here, to come and to scatter you. And in that day of calamity, when you are now finally crying out for the potter, the potter's back will now be turned to you in that day. I will not work with you anymore. There will be a time where I will pluck you up and destroy you. He's pleading with them to repent. He's saying there's still time. Yet their rejection doesn't stop at the rejection of God's plea. They begin to ultimately reject the messenger of God, which is the normal rhythm that we see in the Old Testament. Verse 18, they turn now to Jeremiah, who's being the mouthpiece of God. And they say, come, let us make plots against Jeremiah. Why? For the law shall not perish from the priest." nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with the tongue, and let us pay attention to any of his words. What they're saying here is they're going, God's not going to forsake his divine offices. 
Even though we're rebelling, he's still the pot. He, even though we're rebelling against him, he's not going to turn his back on us. He's not going to shut up the mouth of the priest or the prophet. He's not going to turn the counsel from the wise. Jeremiah is full of lies. So what do we do with Jeremiah? Let's devalue Jeremiah. Let's plot against him. This is a very real instance of what council culture looks like, isn't it? Cancel culture is nothing new in our day and age. It's been happening for all eternity. When anybody speaks into your life and my life and we don't like what they have to say, what do we do? We naturally want to devalue them. We want to make what they say not as important. Therefore, it helps us to turn away from them even more. And what you see here is an utter and total rejection of God's leadership in their life. They're going, basically they're saying, we know we're a mess. We know we're a hot mess, but we're not going to play by your rules, God, and we're not going to listen to your messengers. Therefore, the sad reality is, is that in this instance, God then reveals the potter's punishment. Look at Jeremiah's prayer here in verse 19. Look at his prayer. You know, Jeremiah, in his human frailty, he's weak, he's tired. He's been doing this hard work for so long now. And he finally turns to God as if to give the final verdict. God, I've dealt with them. I've done all that even I can do in obeying you. What else can we do? Look what he says. He says, hear me, O Lord. Listen to the voice of my adversaries. Should good be repaid with evil? Yet they've now dug a pit for my life. Like they're, God, they're coming for me now. They don't just reject you. Now they're rejecting anybody that's of you. Remember how I stood before you to speak good for them? to turn away your wrath from them. God, remember how I stood before you to mediate on the behalf of your people, to help turn them back to you. They're still wanting my life. Therefore, deliver up their children to famine. Give them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives become childless and widowed. May their men meet death by pestilence. Their youth be struck down by the sword in battle. May a cry be heard from their houses. When you bring the plunderer suddenly upon them, for they've dug a pit to take me. They've laid snares for my feet, yet you, O oh Lord, know all their plotting to kill me. And he says, forgive not their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. What a sobering judgment here. It carries with this, this idea of finality. He says, Lord, not only do they reject your leadership, they're rejecting me. They're wanting my life. Therefore, for your own glory, Lord, do to them exactly what you've warned them. Give them what they're asking for. And this isn't a personal vengeance on Jeremiah. He's not saying because they hate me now, I want you to strike them down. There's no personal vengeance here. This is a judicial sentencing. He's saying because they refuse to accept the, the plea deal that you're offering, God, finally then you get the glory in their life by crafting for them disaster and giving them exactly what they deserve. And isn't it funny that what they deserve is the exact intensity of the value of who God is. It's the value of who God is. God is almighty, the awesome creator, the sovereign sustainer, the one that intimately will love you and craft you. Yet in their rejection, what their end will be is that they will have no more. Every bit of security that they had in anything else will be no more. 
Their family will be destroyed. Their military will be wiped out. There will be no more intimate relationships between husband and wife because those relationships will be gone. Their nation will be no more. And in those moments, God says that I will show them my back and not my face. What a terrible ending. And yet, what can you and I in 2021 learn from this potter? We can learn a lot. But it starts with the gospel. It starts with the gospel. Let me tell you this amazing truth. Let me tell you this amazing truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the plea from the potter. How do we connect this to our life? This is how the gospel of Christ is the potter's plea to you and me. How do I know that? Because God did exactly what he said he's going to do to the nation of Israel here. Yet, he takes a lump of clay, of this clay, the remnant of the spoiled bunch, and he begins to craft it even in this day and age. And he begins to craft it to the point where he interjects himself into it. His name is Jesus Christ, who is the, becomes the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king, and now begins to position himself to offer you and me this morning a plea that you and I would be foolish to ever reject. And here's the plea. If you're sitting here right now in this sanctuary, if you're watching online and you have breath in your lungs, your very life is sitting in the hands of the potter. It's there. And God is not neutral in your life. He's not sitting there waiting for you and I to respond to him. No, he's already crafting you and me individually and as a church and as a nation. He's already crafting you. And he's either, he's not neutral. He's either crafting you for destruction, for his glory and his wrath, or he's crafting you for your good, his masterpiece and his glory. And all the while he's doing this, you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, we are a hot mess. Don't we have the ability to look good on the outside? My wife dressed me this morning. Man. Sorry, looks good. And I'm looking at every one of you, and we have the ability to clean ourselves up, don't we? We act like we have it all together. When inside, there's many of you sitting in this room right now barely holding on. You've been trying to keep control of your life from the very get-go. You tried to hold your own career in your hands. You're trying to hold relationships in your hands. You're trying to raise your children in a way that honors the Lord. You're trying. Yet all the while, God is constantly reminding you and me that we actually have no control over these events in our life. You can try, you can try, you can try. You can invest your money in the stock market. You can put your money back for retirement. You can work 80 hours in a day. You can do all these things, yet you don't even control the very events in your life. And if you're being honest with yourself, you have a standard of achievement in your life that you can't even hold yourself to. You can't even live up to your own standards. You and I, we're a mess and you know what God's plea to you and I today is? Turn your mess over to me. Let go. 
Let go. Quit holding on to things that you were never meant to have control over to begin with. And give it to me. Why? Because I am the sovereign creator and ruler and I love you. And I will take every event in your life. He is not promising you and me free from any trials or suffering. He's saying, no, even better. I am promising you that I will take every bit of your suffering and I will repurpose it. And I will work it into your life for your good. Now, where do I get that truth from? Look at Romans 8, 28. Paul Paul shows us this and encourages us in the height of this text. He says, and we know that for those who love God, those who turn their face toward God, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And not your definition of good, his definition of good. For those who are called according to his purpose. The God of all creation has the power to craft your very life into his masterpiece. All of your failures, all of your family's failures, all of the world's calamities, he can take all of those things and craft them for your good and his glory. So let us end today with the question that God, the divine potter, offers to the nation of Israel. Can God turn your mess into his masterpiece? Brothers and sisters, the answer is yes. Yes. You and I, if you're saved, you are a testimony to this already. God is doing that in your life right now. The fact that I'm standing here delivering the word of God is a testament to God turning a mess, a hot mess, into a masterpiece. What he's doing in Spartanburg County is the, is, is, the, is the perfect illustration of how God is taking a mess and turning it into his masterpiece. What he's doing with a COVID-19 pandemic is, an, is a testimony to God taking a mess and turning it into a masterpiece. And the question then is that if he can turn your mess into his masterpiece, then you and I would be foolish to not take our mess to his altar and give it back to him to work. So we're going to end there. And I want you to really think about this. Are you tired of holding on? Are you, tying, are you tired of trying to put your life together and to keep it running? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. Find your rest in the potter's hands. And today, I would hate for you to waste that opportunity. Because the sad reality is, is every one of you will breathe the last breath on this eternity. And if you've been holding on to your life this entire time and you don't even know where your eternity lies, today is the day that God's offer and plea to you, the potter's offer to work your mess in his masterpieces here today. How foolish it would be for you to reject that offer. Let's pray. Father, we cannot do due diligence to the greatness of you and how you reveal yourself in this text. 
Father, the reality is, is that you are our potter. We didn't get to choose that, God. I, I am a lump of clay. I did not choose my existence. The, the people in this room, those watching online, they did not choose their existence. Father, you did. And we are in your hands. But how beautiful is the plea that through your son, Jesus Christ, you say, give me your mess and I will take your mess and make it into a beautiful masterpiece. Who wouldn't want that offer today, Jesus? And I pray for every soul in this room. Oh, that they would not walk out of here today. Oh, that they would not go about their life still holding on they would gladly in submission give their life over to you to work and to rework for your glory and our good. Jesus, you move as only you can. And we pray. Amen.